Welcome back. It's Hit Factory. My name is Aaron. My name is Carly. And today we have the privilege, pleasure and privilege, of welcoming to the show uh, a wonderful guest. It's filmmaker Donald Bornstein here with us. Donald, thank you so very much for joining us. Welcome to Hit Factory. Aaron, Carly, thank you for having me. It's it's it's, it's a pleasure. It's and and a privilege. I, I, I'm stealing your line now. It's. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to. It's that fine. That doesn't make it any less it's, true, Donald. The number of times I just parrot back whatever it is that Carly's just said on this show, especially when we're just recording the two of us, um, profound. So please, by all means, steal my lines. Take take from me the ideas, the riffs, uh, whatever you'd like. They they belong to you. What's mine is yours. I, I will. I'm actually licensing them right now, and I'm gonna. <laughs> Doing I, 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 I'm I'm making a like in, a, a, one of those like inspirational quote kind of pages, but with this and like <laughs> SEO tagging every single line from this podcast with a TM Amazing. Donald Bornstein underneath. And yeah, he's gonna make money off of your yeah. shit now. Too. I'm just imagining a very like stark black and white photo of you just like <laughs> mugging on like azquotes.com or whatever it is with just. Just a success win kind of template there. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Uh, by any means, today we are talking about a, a fantastic film. Um, oh, and I should say at the top of this as well, uh, this is, for those keeping score at home, episode 100 of Hit Factory. Whoa, what the fuck? This Woo! is our 100th episode of the show. Okay. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's fantastic that we get to, to welcome Donald on for this one. It's I could not ask for a better guest. Uh, and I could not ask for a better film to be talking about. It is uh, one that I just saw for the first time earlier this year. I, I rewatched for the sake of this show, Carly's first watch, um, and really, I just one of my favorite things I've I've seen in a long, long time. We are talking about Martin Scorsese's 1999 unheralded masterpiece, Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, what a fucking movie, Donald! Yeah. Thank you for for bringing it to us. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I I, th- I think it was like a mutual idea there, but like it was it was like th- this is I mean this is probably my favorite Marty movie. I'd say like it's it's not it's like it's obviously a, a con- toughly contentious uh, category, but I, I think it's it's like one of the and I, again out of a filmography filled with such depictions, like one of the truly definitive depictions of New York in film, one of the most you know deeply searing explorations of trauma and like inequality in America and just also, uh, you know, kind of insane. It's, 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 it's really just, there's just nothing like it. It's, it's, it's really exceptionally exceptional. Hands down my favorite Marty movie. Like as soon as we, we finished it, I was like sitting on my couch. It was like one in the morning. And I was like, I think, think this is the best Martin Scorsese film like I've ever seen which as you said is is no small feat but it's so distinct in his canon too like it's it stands out um from a lot of his other stuff I was also thinking a lot about um after hours when I was watching mm-hmm. this movie mm-hmm. there are some similarities but I think this film is just electric and manic um, and very, very special. And I personally love Paul Schrader. He is my favorite living storyteller, like on the planet. Everything he touches, I think, is magnificent. And I was thinking about this film. 
in relation to Taxi Driver and thinking about how the films are similar, but how it feels like the perspectives of both Marty and Paul have matured by the time that we get to bringing out the dead and that they are also sort of much more brazen in their risk taking. It feels like they're, they're sort of pushing into corners um, that in previous films they hadn't. Yeah. I mean, structurally, like uh, on, on the whole, like, I, I disagree with the assertions this has. I've seen people say this film has no is plotless, which I don't quite agree with. It is it is the quintessential, which I think is the best formula for a new for like a a, a movie, possibly, which is you know, guy having a couple really bad days at work, um, which, which is, <laughs> yes, which yes. Which, fit, which fits a lot of it. You know, on, it fit, it fits a lot of stuff, especially a lot of, a lot of Marty's stuff. It fits uncut gems. It fits a whole bunch of other things, but like it. <laughs> It is like everyone involved is firing on all cylinders. Like it's like it's it's probably it's like tied for my favorite cage performance. It's uh, Arquette is incredible. Ving Rhames mm. is otherworldly good. Unbelievable. Um, like uh, it is. It's it's not only my favorite editing work by by Thelma Schoonmaker, but it's hers too for 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 their collaborations. According to her as well, um, Robbie mm. Richardson. The way Robbie Richardson makes the city look is is just like like the. You know, if if you, it's really funny. Like I, I remember when I first saw this. Like me, I think I saw it like first for the first time in like college in like 2010. You know, dating myself here, but like it's <laughs> it's a, uh, I it was um, you know, a couple of years after the Dark Knight. I remember seeing the ambulance shots, and I'm like, oh, they ripped it. They they totally ripped 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 these off for the Dark Knight and made it worse. It's it's, it's but like. <laughs> Uh, it, it's like it, 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 the way everything moves, the the, the 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 like the weird halo patterns of light and blown out highlights that like inform this movie so much. The occasional like Wong Kar Wai esque shutter speed fuck fuck around stuff, you yes. know. And like all this would be great on its own, you know. You could you know do a circle jerk over the technical prowess of the movie <laughs> and how good everyone is in it. But this all comes together to make something so profoundly aching it is like you know this this incredibly mournful film that manages to still move quite briskly it's 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 it's, it's paradoxical uh it's 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 really incredible yeah it's i mean and as you mentioned robbie richardson here is just doing incredible stuff behind the camera there are a couple of distinct just images and moments in this film that are you know may, may less than a second worth of footage that i will think about for the rest of my life uh the the number of novel ways they find to shoot the interiors and the exteriors of an ambulance in this movie uh just several different masters all at work here marty richardson it, it it's incredible incredible to behold the one i think about is that one shot where um as, as it's going through, it's, it's, again, it's literally like maybe less than a second where it's like the horns on the ambulance and they end up kind of like, and they're like, they're like so, you know, sh- it's like this really sharply cast light on them. Uh, they look kind of, end up kind of looking like the horns on the cover of uh, The Crying of Lot 49, actually. Um, yeah. it's, but it's like, it's like <laughs> this, like, this weird, like, and it like, it like almost like looks like, like, you know, like, like the, uh, you know, like the angel Trump, like, you know, the kind of trumpet you'd expect from like an angel in the book, book of Revelation or something like that. You know, it, it, mm. it's, 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 oh my God. You know, all of these decisions coming together and there is something just so potent about, you know, a classic uh, Marty Schrader mess around 
when it happens. You know, obviously Taxi Driver, Last Temptation of Christ, both fantastic movies. I think this is their best collaboration. And I think that because it's the one that feels the most uh, significantly kind of cohered to both of their sensibilities. Marty obviously brings in a lot of this kind of more... Uh, as you mentioned, Donald, sort of like kind of biblical imagery, the the sort of subtext of this sort of like saintliness and godliness of these characters and the way that they kind of operate as as these sort of, uh, you know, the bastions that kind of guide the souls of people. But it's also a film that is incredibly damning of systems the way that paul schrader's best work is as well you you get a sense of of new york yes but you also get a sense of this this kind of noxious sort of healthcare system that's overrun that's desiccated and and the ways in which this sort of neoliberal hellscape has kind of like rotted over into the streets of new york you see these as they're called in the film you see these living dead right you see these these people who are uh, destitute and living at sort of like the the edges of society, and it does not shy away. In fact, it, it it we descend into those moments at every turn. It's just breathtaking stuff. I I, I know you know we're we're waxing on this, and and we need to just actually maybe talk about the, the details of the movie. But I can't I can't get over just how good it is, just as a film at, at every single level that it operates on. Yeah, like I mean. There, the, the the film like so much of the film like the way it's shot some of the like it's a lot of the like audio you know not the you know soundtrack but the score of it feels like almost horror like in 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 the in the pacing and tone the way the camera kind of cre- especially on those like the way when they're going in to get someone before you see whatever call they're making like you know whether it's the ones where they're walking up the stairs in the in the you know in the rundown apartment buildings or like you know head heading in to get you know that that the you know burke the first patient like the way the camera kind of careens around them has like almost that, that, that the kind of hairpin turn you get in, in in a horror movie like it's almost like setting up for a jump scare that instead of a jump scare is just this impossible tragedy that is every waking moment of this man's job it's <laughs> yeah trader i think often writes stories about how society creates you know, all kinds of living dead. And, and it's not a coincidence that Nicolas Cage's character, Frank Pierce, over the course of the film starts to look like a zombie. And, and so it's like, it's not just the, the people that these um, EMS uh, attendants are taking care of. It's also that they themselves are zombies. Mm-hmm. There, there's a great bit in, in a interview I dug up uh, before this uh, with uh, Ebert that Scorsese did where he said, the first thing I thought of when I read Joe Connolly's book were Nick Cage's face and eyes, uh, you know, like, and that, and it's so, it's so true. Like, it's like he get, he imbues that with such a deep expression. Like he just, he looks, he looks truly dead in. Like there's this one great moment where Patricia Arquette asks him like, maybe like a third of the way through the movie, I think, hey, you know, how long you've been doing this? And he's like, sort of like deadpans, like five years. <laughs> and it's like, and he, he, he looks like shit. Just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we see him in three days start looking yeah. like even worse. You know, it's like I can't imagine the, the five years and the toll it takes. Yeah. yeah, and he's like a he's like a veteran of this, right? You know, like yeah. I mean, being more so, I think in the in the movie has sort of kind of like figured out a, a, a pathway through this while keeping his sort of sanity. But even he's kind of a psycho. It's incredible that like thirty three or thirty something year old Ving Rhames looks older there than he does now. <laughs> it's, 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 
Yeah. Well, he's got hair too, which is the yeah. uh, you know kind of like jarring. And it's it's well, the, the, the mustache. Yeah. And the mustache. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. We have a call, chief. Somebody's bleeding. Forty fourth and A. Saving someone's life is like falling in love. You wonder if you become immortal, as if you've saved your own life as well. But taking credit when things go right doesn't work the other way. Take things way too seriously, Frank. You look like you aged about 10 years since the room with your life. Come on, Frank. There's blood still on the streets. Let's go have some fun. It was the neighborhood I grew up in and where I had worked most as a paramedic. And it held more ghosts per square foot than any other. Why did you kill me, Frank? I didn't kill you. No, you didn't, Frank, and thank you, but there's still a couple hours left on our ship. I haven't seen the ghosts. You ever notice people who see things are always crazy? You swore that you'd fire me if I came in late again. You swore it. You swore it. Nobody gets fired, son. Look at me. You have the power, Jesus, to spare this worthless man. Rise up! Damn, you guys are good. Everyone at that hospital's crazy. That's ridiculous. Don't make me take off my sunglasses. Come on, Frank. Get with the program. Yeah. You feel better, Frank? I think the worst is over. Oh no, it can always get worse. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> help others and you help yourself. With my mind. I understood how crazy it was to think this way. But then, something good will happen. Everything just glows. Don't try. Frank! Frank! Yeah. Are you okay? I've never felt better in my life. How are you? I'm good. Good. You can't push Directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, let's yeah. let's pivot and talk a little bit yeah. about the origins of this movie. You mentioned, uh, Donald, that this is based on a novel written by one Joe Connolly, mm-hmm. uh, who himself was a New York City EMT. Uh, and he wrote this book, uh, also titled Bringing Out the Dead, to sort of, as, as he says, kind of exercise many of these demons. He, he was going through much the same plight as his character, Frank Pierce, played by Nicolas Cage. Uh, he, he was going through going through a similar experience to him and realizing, you know, you lose a lot more people than you save on the streets. And uh, the only way that he could really see to make peace with this was to kind of write down these stories to, to say the names of these people and to, to give life to this thing. Um, obviously this was brought to, to Scorsese's attention by Scott Rudin Schrader helms the script. And I got to say, like, I, I, I do not know the actual material and details of, of Connolly's book. Uh, but it feels like a Schrader script, like front to back there. There's yeah. so much of it that feels, uh, so synonymous with, his other works, his his kind of God's Lonely Man kind of stories. Uh, I, I would be very curious to see where the delineation happens and and where the adaptation starts. Well, well, there's one one thing that is certain, and we can get to the detail of this later. Is like very pivotally, the ending is all Schrader. 
apparently. Mm. Which I guess, again, I haven't, I haven't read the work. I really should read the book. I, it's, it's, I, I would like to. I'm just very dumb, but um, it's, <laughs> it, you know, but like it's, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, in in the same Eber interview, like he, uh, he mentions that it, for false forces, like he, like there was no one else he thought of who could write this besides Schrader, which is interesting given it's, it's their last collaboration. I think, yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, but like you know, it, it's um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it does. It's it, it feels very fully transformed by both of them, you know, to to, to fit. And not in a way like it seems like, it, you know, like, you know, didn't have interest in Connolly's work. It clearly is built off that. But like it is. It's so wholly becomes a, a Schrader story. It's it's it's. God, yeah. I know you said that there are some criticisms uh, about this movie not having a plot. And I agree with you. I don't really think that's the case. But I I uh, wonder if you'd be willing to sort of try to give us a, a plot synopsis as best as you yeah. can. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, Nick Cage plays um, plays Frank Pierce's, you know, by by paramedic standards. I mean, I, I want to you know qualify this with the fact that I am I'm not a paramedic. I've never been a paramedic. I I know very little <laughs> about being a paramedic. I please, if anyone is a paramedic and is hearing me, correct me on everything. Um, but uh, <laughs> don't so, don't correct us. Don't say anything yeah. to us. <laughs> it's, it's, Keep your comments <laughs> to yourself. Put your manners back in. <laughs> Just, just listen to to what Donald has to say. And, anyways, uh, so yeah, he's he's a he's a very burnt out paramedic going on um, three days of shifts uh, with um, three different partners, and it all gets sort of pulled together by this first run. He go he has been having a really bad run of uh, trips. He used to be, you know, he prides himself on his work and used to be very good at it by his own testament in voiceover narration, but he has apparently not saved anyone in six months. And he's specifically haunted by this one homeless teenager. He could not save from having an asthma attack for reasons that get clarified a little further in. Um, and it starts off with him going on a house call to deal with a, with a cardiac, you know, pa- patient, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty late call. seems like it's impossible uh, he manages to, you know, save this sort of save this person in a kind of a comatose state, and meets uh, Nick Cage's then actual wife, Patricia Arquette, um, mm-hmm. his, uh, you know, this 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 man's estranged daughter, and the rest of the movie is basically him having increasingly worse nights in the ambulance while going back to the hospital, talking to Patricia Arquette, and then going back out and being miserable while. <laughs> Slowly losing his grasp on reality, being haunted by what could be literal ghosts, what could be his own psyche creating these ghosts. But, you know, seeing the dead, but specifically this homeless girl everywhere he goes and all the while seeing different aspects of marginalized New York. Um, you know, we have recurring characters like this one figure played, played by Mark, the singer Mark Anthony in a really incredible performance. Um, he does unbelievable work yeah, in this movie. With, with a role... <laughs> With a with a role that in not just lesser hands, but basically any other hands would become like a really awful uh, stereo, like somewhat like maybe offensive role uh, of like, you know, this like really distressed uh, victim of like a near fatal assault or near fatal mm-hmm. gunshot wound who he his 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 condition has made it. So he's kind of, you know, constantly running in with the law and constantly ending up in the hospital. Um, and, you know, he has a very cost relationship with both the hospital staff and with you know paramedics and you know 
we see seeing recurring characters like him pop up and along with more one-off calls while we find out about a couple you know side detail plots like a, like a new drug running rampant through the community and just the general decay of new york all while nick cage pairs up with uh you know ambulance uh co-pilots who are respectively tuned out uh you know born again christians or uh genuine psychopaths <laughs> yes and that's and that's the movie <laughs> that's, it, that's, yeah. that's brilliantly done a superb synopsis of this movie <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's uh very f- kind of thin in its premise but the humanity they're able to extract from that and the amount of storytelling and richness that come from that is unbelievable i love all of these recurring characters you already mentioned yeah. mark anthony as noel uh sort of uh, as you said this this man burdened with uh an awful awful like you know mental impairment because of a a near fatal attack he is completely without any sort of like resources or help or rehabilitative possibilities um he's just a devastating character in this movie actively antagonized by a lot of the it's interesting the way this film does not flinch in showing how like these conditions turn so many of the people working in these systems against the people they are essentially trying to help like everyone yes it's there's not really much of a cop presence in this movie which is interesting but it's like aside from like the very very distinctive security guard in the front of the in the front of the hospital (laughs) i love grit his whenever he threatens to take his sunglasses off yeah uh, (laughs) he's a he's a terrific character but yeah it's like people are just like you know open it's like there's like this weird like combative you know, like relationship between patients. Like the first thing you hear when they're wheeling in Burke, the, the first cardiac patient is like, we don't have room for him. You know, he's, he's a, basically a corpse, you know, don't, don't stop, stop bringing these people in. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, cause everyone's over, it's, 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 it's this weird pressure cooker kind of thing. And the result is like with, with people like Noel, there's this real open hostility from a system that should be helping them. You know? Yeah. Yep. I, the, I want to spend another moment on Noel because I think that, the way that the film sort of takes its time in revealing more and more about him is important. Um, you know, initially we find him in the ER strapped to a hospital bed crying out for water. And he's not just crying out for water. I mean, he's in like an incredible amount of pain, it seems. Um, and you know, they're sort of asking, oh, what's going on with this guy? And one of the doctors there says he's got X, Y, and Z, like, syndrome. If we give him water, like, it's going to kill him, whatever, whatever. A few moments later, when uh, Patricia Arquette's character comes into the hospital, she recognizes him. And um, she offers very plainly to give him water. She recognizes him, we find out later, because he lived in their house for three months because he's her brother's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's such, it's such a matter-of-fact thing. And she says a line like something uh, like, you know, he, he's he's in a lot of pain, but that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve a glass of water or something like that. And 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 it's clear that the film is is reminding us of a perspective that is not mired in this landscape of horror that all of these hospital workers, you know, live and breathe in every day. And that that perspective is one that feels less complicated and more human Um and this is a recurring thing with Noel. Um, 
as we start to learn more about him, it, I think it's not until sort of the back half of the film that we learn that he was shot in the head and yeah. a bullet was lodged in his brain. And Spe- that specifically by Patricia Arquette's drug dealer or his muscle yeah. that, yes. that they were responsible for, for yeah. doing this to him. Yes. Yeah. And that like, to me, the character of Noel and us sort of initially being presented with an image we may think we recognize of a you know violent um, neighborhood menace, uh, as Tom Sizemore character calls him at a certain point, and and that over the course of the film he is humanized, I think is really important um, because that is the thing that is missing from all of the cities we live in, right? Yeah. Like that that's our that's sort of our arc. Uh, that we need to approach when we're thinking about the people that this system leaves behind and or actively corrupts and destroys. Yeah. And I, I think it's really pointed that it's very much set in like, you know, it, you know, the first, obviously the first thing that you see is it's set in the early 1990s in New York. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's set a little earlier in the decade. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's very pointed that it's like the, you know, it's like that era where people responded to this moment of intense trauma and pain in the city by electing, uh, the most nightmarishly cruel mayor the city's ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, absolutely. Yeah, and Rudy Giuliani. Like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I mean, it's like a competitive title, but like, you know, he probably gets it. Uh, it, uh, it it's, you know, it, it's, it's a very quietly, you know, fierce statement of like, you know, you, you turned away from this cruelty and, and let it get worse. It just pushed, pushed it to the background. Right. You criminalized it. Right. And, yeah. and I think I think a thing that you mentioned, uh, Donald, is is uh, right on the money that there isn't really a police presence here. And one of the things that I, I noted on this watch that I, I mentioned to Carly was the way that they present in the film uh, the hospital and this like overburdened, overrun kind of hostile workforce who's exhausted. There's this chaos running around. It looks and feels not unlike many of the police stations we see in movies of the 90s. Yeah. Uh, we just did Predator 2 on the show very recently. And there's a, a, a very many scenes in there that are set in like, you know, the a Los Angeles precinct that is uh, boiling over with with this kind of like chaos. And I, I realize, you know, that. W- that we are we are showing the early 90s as opposed to the you know the mid and late 90s in new york as you mentioned with giuliani coming in and you know cracking down on this crim- on on these uh people and, and criminalizing all of this stuff uh that not soon after this these are police stations right full of these people that for now they're at least approaching something that that looks like and appears to be some sort of like palliative measure some sort of care and this will eventually give way to uh, just full on, like you know, law enforcement and, and brutality. Yeah, it's 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 it, it just gets it's it. There are points in the movie where it's really painful, especially when you the, the way some of the regulars. There's there's one there's one character in it. That I also I think about a lot too. Uh, Mr. O. Oh in, yeah. Uh, this one is one recurring you know a, a alcoholic homeless person who seems to be a, reg- a regular again a regular caller and like there's a mix of like this thing where like part of it you understand part of it's like you understand that like there's this fear that like while they're on this call someone will like just die from like a traumatic injury or something like that but at the same time this is someone who's clearly in genuinely ghastly health and you know 
really could be that person any one of these calls you know and there's the scathing contempt by all the ambulance drivers for for, for, for it it's like it's tough it, the, the film isn't particularly judgmental about it so much as just just showing the way the system turns turns uh turns forces against each other here you know because of mm. a lack of adequate anything <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah absolutely and the moralizing on the part of the hospital right. workers yeah. as well there's that the intake nurse that right. played by uh mary beth uh hurt who's yeah. uh, paul schrader's uh irl wife oh yeah this is a big husband and wife movie it's it's, yeah, it's, it's a big <laughs> wife guy situation yes. the the you know, sort of speeches she delivers to all of these people that she's, you know, taking in are, are filled with with moralizing, filled yeah. with judgment on her part. And um, and it's like all such familiar territory, like it's stuff we still hear in San Francisco today on, on our coast um, with a, a massive population of unhoused people for whom most of the city has like contempt isn't even the right word like people i think just like actively want our unhoused population wiped off the face of the planet it's it's a it's a bizarre and horrifying exchange and it's always this moralizing it always comes back to like well, you're just going to do this again. And why would I help you? You don't deserve help. You're here on your own accord. And it's, um, I appreciate that the, the film is, you know, allowing us to have sympathy for the people that are, um, being attended by these, these workers and also those that are doing the jobs, uh, of, you know, medical care and uh and all of that but that it it also shows the ways in which these people on both sides are um are problematic yeah it's it's more than i think i think it's like more than anything it's, it is like this endless empathy even for everybody involved even like even even tom sizemore's character who is again yes. by yep. far the biggest piece of shit in the movie you still like our ultimately like he is someone who is like who has seems what's on the other end of 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 Frank's arc really is 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 what you turn into if you can't you can't manage to get yourself to find a coping coping mechanism you know which is just this like boiled over you know pit of rage and hatred <laughs> that doesn't help anybody it's completely that is his coping mechanism yeah. right like yeah. that is how he tries to make sense of th these these feelings there's a a scene towards the end of the film when uh we pan past him after they've had their night together nicholas cage and and tom sizemore's characters um and he's beating an ambulance with a bat his ambulance, um, the one he feels yeah. a, a special relationship with. It's yes, right. <laughs> his own ambulance, and it's it's I've I like it's a funny moment, but it's also heartbreaking. Like he doesn't know where else to put you know these things that he's feeling, so he just is violent towards anything and everything. And I, I, Tom Sizemore is a an actor that I think like film Twitter loves, and I don't not love him. He's just like not my favorite. And I think it's because he's so good at playing like shit bags and and uh, often characters that are 
are um, kind of corrupt. But this was a performance, I said to Aaron, where like I was blown away at how much sort of like emotional heft he was able to bring to a character that I think could have easily been absolutely reprehensible, full stop. I feel like we're... It's it's incredible we're talking about all this and we haven't even gotten to Nick Cage at all here. No, this is where I wanted to go next. Is like, like let's talk about other performances here. Let's talk about Nick Cage please. in this in this movie. Oh my god, please. Yeah, t- tell us more, yeah. Donald. I I think Nick Cage is now universally considered a good actor whereas there was this really dumb idea that he was a bad actor because he just, you know, had would take on, you know, shitty roles for his gambling debt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still like act the hell out of him in his, in his own way. But it's really interesting because like Nick Cage is very like, notably not a method guy. Like he, he, the whole thing, he's, he's not a method actor. He's very much like kind of one of the few remaining like old school Hollywood actors. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm Nick Cage and my character will be like partly me, you know, bringing that kind of star performance gravitas to it. But like, this is one where he like he did ride alongs. Like he's in his own words, he said it was like one of the most researched roles he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, he you know he he really dug into it. You know he it is his one of his most restrained roles. Um, and like mm-hmm. it sounds like a bit, but it's really like he he he'll, he'll 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 like the moments where he goes in the cage mode are few and far between in here, and it's mostly him feel look like giving this very hollowed out like bearing witness kind of performance but yeah. like and again interestingly that 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 very same state is used as a punchline just as often as it uses as, as, as it's used as like you know genuinely him watching you know filling this role of bearing witness to people's final moments it's it's yes yeah and like yeah. there's this yeah sorry you go ahead yeah no please yeah oh uh, and there's just like this one, there's this one part where um, I think early on when John Goodman's character is like r- razzing him about not eating and he just like, explodes, like insisting, I eat, I eat Larry. And it's like, it's like one of the few like genuine <laughs> cage freakouts we get in the, in the moment until like the third, the final third of the movie really. And yes. like, yeah. it, it, it's just like, it's, it's like, it gives us like this hair trigger feeling where he, you know. This is someone deeply in denial of the fact they're just not holding it together, and like is this, this one great running gag where every time he comes into the, into the dispatch office, he's like begging to get fired, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like it, it's this interesting parallel because like right before this, the first time we see this scene, like you know Cage and um, Mark Anthony as Noel are like in the van after he tracks him down from running away. Like, there's, a, it's a, there's this really weird scene where in a very anachronistic music needle drop, uh, R.E.M. is what's the frequency Kenneth is playing, which yes. wouldn't have yes. come out by then. While Mark Anthony, while Noel is like lying down in the middle middle of the street trying to get run over by a car to kill himself. And like, you know, Nick Cage has to save him by saying, OK, we'll take you back to the hospital. There's a big comfy room where, you, where we'll kill you, I promise. And mm-hmm. like... And he keep and he he keeps like, trying to say you you you'll kill me. He's like I promise we'll kill you. You just got to come back. And like after that scene, like we get we were, like not too short long after, Cage is like late for work for his next day, and he's like, okay, please fire me, please fire. Me. And, the, and the chief's like, I promise I'll fire you tomorrow. We need yeah. you today. I'll fire you tomorrow. It's like it's like <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful parallel in the movie, yeah. and it, it's also. Uh, in the midst of another like 
and and this is where this movie gets you know really brilliant is is that it's simultaneously just like excruciating to behold and also just unbearably funny at the same time this ha- this all happens in the same window of time that uh they respond to a shooting and the shooting victim is uh, michael k williams yeah oh my god um, uh, omar himself and uh, just, you know, like five minutes of screen time doing brilliant work like he always does, always did, you know, um, RIP. Uh, but he's trying to to save this man's life in the back of, of the ambulance and telling him, you're not going to die. And Mark Anthony's character panics. He goes, no, 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 you're going to die. He's not going to die. Like, like, let's let's keep it straight here. I promise. I promise we'll kill you. I need to save him. All the elements were in place for a long weekend. He... Humidity, moonlight. I was good at my job. There were periods where my hands moved with a speed and skill beyond me. But in the last year, I'd started to lose that control. Things had turned bad. I hadn't saved anyone in months. I just needed a few slow nights, followed by a couple of days off. Cajun here just like, he, he gets his moments, you know, he... He gets to kind of freak out when he has his sort of drug-induced nightmare at at Sai's place. Uh, he does a, a brilliant little moment with Ving, where he kind of like imitates Ving in like a very Nick Cage way, where he kind of throws on his swagger and he's like, "What about rule number three? You know, like uh, it's it, he he just gets to do everything that Nick Cage usually does in a movie. But as you mentioned, it's it's more subdued here. It's more kind of intentional. Uh, and more understated. It's just it's just a beautiful performance. Well, and yeah. it works within the diegesis of the film. Like it yeah. makes sense for the character when he gets to the third act and he starts to really unravel and do more of his cage, you know, like cage ragey stuff. Like it makes sense because we've we've been with Frank up to this point and we've seen him trying so hard to keep it together that when he does boil over, it doesn't feel like Nick Cage just doing Nick Cage stuff. It feels like Frank. It feels like something that Frank would do. And I'm trying to think if there's another actor that could do this as well as he does in this film. But he straddles this line of a person who is completely enraged, uh, completely at the edge of his rope, and also comatose, right? Like, just a walking dead himself. I think, and I think it is interesting. Like, it, it does come back to so much of that, like expressive face of his that, you know, that the Scorsese like points out, like mm-hmm. the thing that really immediately drew him to, to, to cage on this was like, which is like this, he has that, he does have like really one of the, like, you know, the really singular expressive faces in the history of cinema. Like it, it, it like the way he, it's, his eyes are like, I wouldn't say puppy dog like, but he has this way of imbuing with with sad. And it, obviously, it's a lot more. It was like you know, the amount of like eye ring makeup there is under him by the end of the film yes. is astonishing. Yeah. He 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 looks like he walked out of the goth of the goth club they make that call at. You know, it's <laughs> but like it, it, it's it is interesting. I, I didn't know this until tonight. Actually, I, apparently during the production of this, it was a five month shoot, and he was flying back and forth between L.A. and New York for the shoot basically constantly. So like he was like doing this on like you know low digits of sleep basically a lot of the time. Wow. So like you know there is definitely like, something that has to be imbued there. It seems like, um, 
And you said he wasn't a method actor, Donald. No, and I know it's <laughs> it, it. It just came to him, I guess. You know, the method. Yeah. It, it's 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 it's. And he he's also he's also he's such a perfect vessel for the for the for like a Schrader kind of script too. Mm-hmm. Like he 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 has such a good knack for making, you know, Schrader Schrader, Schrader is again. I I agree with like he's really one of the, the consummate writers of his of his of his of his age. You know, like he, he no, no one makes a script like him, but like there are also cases where there are actors who can't make a script work. I mean. Mm-hmm. There, there's examples. There's examples he's directed, honestly, like the, the canyons. Um, but you know, it's it's, uh. it's um, <laughs> but like Cage makes every line. Like, there's one. There's one line towards to, towards the very end, uh, right after uh, Patricia Arquette's. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on her character's name right now because Ma- yeah, Mary Mary Burke name? is oh, Mary Burke. Mary, yes, yeah, name. Mary Burke. Uh, after her father, you know, finally, pa- you know, passes you know, at Nick Cage's hands, basically, but commanded by his spirit, whatever. Um, you know, she's like, you know, talking about talking about it and like mentions how, you know, gives a very cliche line to the end of, you know, the city will kill you if you're not strong enough, you know, which is like, it's, it's a kind of like, you know, kind of aphorism that seems beneath straighter. Uh, mm-hmm. But then Nick Cage immediately sort of comes back with like, you know, no, the city doesn't discriminate. It gets everybody. And it's like, you know, yeah. it, it it's just this brutal, this brutal, you know, moment there where just, you, you just, it hits you in the gut and it, it turns what could have been like this very clunky line into the one of the moments that sticks with me the most in the movie, honestly, that just mm-hmm. this, yes. this feeling that's like, it's, then that's like, that's like a big, a big fixation of the film is that life is already cruel enough but it's made so much crueler by all this it's it. that entire final interaction is, to me just like kills me every time i yeah. see it I, I watched it a couple times just like out of context and on its own it has another just like beautifully poignant kind of wrap up with uh this recurring sort of character of, of rose the the teenager that uh frank couldn't save where you know he starts seeing her face sort of supplanted on top of everybody you know maybe he's envisioning like just her standing in the middle of a crowd but we see often that she kind of takes on the visage of other people as they kind of walk around too and at the very very end here she appears one more time standing where patricia arquette would have been and uh and nick cage says you know please forgive me rose and if i'm not mistaken in patricia arquette's voice but with the character there uh, says back to him, it's not your fault. Nobody asked you to suffer. That, that You did that on your own or something like that. Yeah. Right? Like, that, 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 was all, that was all you. Uh, beautiful. Incredible little moment. And it's just like a, a wonderful just sort of summation of the entirety and, and like the enormity of this feeling that he's had for the entirety of the movie. And that, that was the thing I was mentioning earlier that was like, you know, Schrader, entirely Schrader's, you know, like liberties he took kind of there apparently according to scorsese where he changed the ending of the you know, it's completely divergent from the ending of the book but like just absolutely hits like a ton of bricks and the, the relationship between 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 mary and frank in in, in the film is like, it's really like one of those things where again a lesser movie many lesser movies have tried similar conceits where it's like you know in a lesser movie mary would be this like you know almost like not manic not like trauma pixie drink dream girl per se but like you know <laughs> kind of like this person for him to save 
And like mm-hmm. this movie completely subverts it. Like, yeah, at one point he does carry her out of a, a drug den, but while drugged out himself and like not really saving her so much as like acting out of, you know, delusion. And it, it, it's very interesting. Like, you know, she, she's, she's just a very incredibly well developed character that could have been a much, you know, you know, again, lesser movies have tried similar things and made, made, made completely paper thin character. And she, again, at the time, they were, you know, Cage and Arquette were married, you know, it, towards towards the end of their marriage. But like, you know, it's in, uh, in interviews, they like both gush about how excited they were to work together while like mm-hmm. not mentioning they were married, which is really cool, I thought. But um, <laughs> but like also like uh, I guess it's, it's, it's like a very interesting kind of chemistry. Like it's like this very weary, under, weary understanding of pain. Mm-hmm. Like rather than like an electric spark to it, and like it propels so much of it. Like for and like it, their their conversations are the anchor of the film. They're Frank's only real grounding in humanity at this point. You know, yes. Really. And there's one really. It, it, it's, it's there's so much to it. There's there's what the the one that really sticks with me though actually is towards the middle during during the the Ving Rhames section where they come back and Frank brings back some pizza to her mm-hmm. uh, and they they reminisce about you know their shared childhood they went to you know they, they grew up in the same part of the neighborhood for a while before frank's family moved away her family stuck around and you know they're, they're sort of waxing rhapsodic around it and there's this one moment where in the middle of the conversation you know mary turns to like catch a glimpse at some of the chaos going around and like in one of the most like radical editing i've ever seen in my life like Shoemaker just like throws the one eighty rule out the window and onto a spiked fence, yes. and like <laughs> it just has this like it cuts around in like almost a full three hundred sixty degree circle of like mm-hmm. every angle of her, of her face, yes. while cutting back to Cage on each one. It's like this feeling of like it's this incredibly disorienting feeling where she becomes almost inseparable from the ghosts he's looking at. One of the things, like it's it's interesting to me, how Martin Scorsese of all fucking people has become this shorthand for a lot of people for like traditional cinema, because yeah. he like just there there's are a few people who are like as wildly experimental in their careers as him while working within such a such a like a pillar of esteem, like this was him at the prime of his career, like when he's you know he hadn't gotten his Oscar yet. But he was like riding this this '90s run of like massive, massively popular f- films to some degree or varying degrees, I guess, that were all like, you know, wild left turns for him. Like after mm-hmm. after he, he does Goodfellas, of course, which is like you know again that's like his the the, the big one, the, the often viewed as one of the definitive ones for him. But then he does Cape Fear, yes, mm-hmm. Age of Innocence, yes, yep. Kundun, which I loved it, Marty, and. Uh, you know, <laughs> and then and then this and, and like it's it, it's like all complete. I mean, and uh, his whole career is filled with these kinds of left turns, of course. But like you know, it it it's one of his weirdest decades and one of his best, maybe maybe his best decade actually. Honestly, like it, it's 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 you know whether he's like fifty five or seventy five or twenty five, like he 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 is constantly walking this fine line between very rigidly embracing the cinematic language and like completely throwing it out. Yes. And it's, yeah. it's, it's like, it's, 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 no one really does it as well as him. It's, you know, it's like, 
that's why he gets away with it. It's it's interesting, yeah. you know, that this is the one that at least like critically and in terms of its accolades uh, is yeah. the least revered of yes. like his 90s output. You know, the, the one that you d- I, I think missed there in, in your mentionings, Donald, is Casino. Oh, yeah, and, got you know, it, of course. A, a yeah, lot of the conversations around Casino at the time, though, I think it's since been like, you know, very much reevaluated and considered like, a you know, another masterpiece in, in the canon of, of great works of, of Scorsese. But at the time, I, I think many were saying that it felt kind of like a repeat for him, felt a lot like him kind of rehashing Goodfellas stuff, his kind of gangster yeah. lore. Uh, and then he does this severe left turn in Kundun and then returns to New York. Yes, in this film, but also just, as you mentioned, throws stylistically everything that he's known for kind of out the window and, and adopts this just like very experimental style in this. The music here, the editing, it's also manic and kinetic and just like it it does not look or feel like anything else in, in Marty's canon. Yeah. I get and and Carl, you pointed out too that After Hours is again a similar stylistic touch stylistic touch point, I think too, and it's the only other one in his over that like really does kind of feel like it has the same pacing, but like you know, whereas After Hours is is, is very singularly committed to being a comedy. Yes, yes, you know, this is just kind of this is this, this has no interest in, in in being any genre really. It's, no, absolutely yeah. not. And and one of the things that I think makes it distinct from after hours if we're comparing the two is that after hours could very easily be a movie that's about kind of like the churn of like working in corporate america right because the protagonist like leaves his job and has all this fucking shit happen to him and then he returns at the end of the day and it sort of pans out and everyone's just like in their little box doing their thing and so like <laughs> it's it's kind of saying some stuff but but it is more committed to the bit and and to just sort of like the wackiness of of the story. Whereas this film, I think, is very necessarily, as we've said of Schrader, uh, implicating systems and the way that systems manifest and corrupt within people. Um, and it's something that I think, you know, Schrader does beautifully, but that Marty just like electrifies in this film. Um, and the the editing that you're talking about, I mean, that that shot with Patricia Arquette blew me away, and then there's and then it's gone. Like it yeah. it never comes back. They don't do it again. And uh, and you have to almost like blink and think, like, did I hallucinate that? And even that mm-hmm. is like sort of putting you in this headspace that's kind of akin to to what frank pierce and and a lot of these uh ems workers are feeling right there there is this disorienting slap that the movie has as you're watching it um and if you kind of just let that wash over you it really does put you in a sort of um it really does put you in a similar headspace um as a lot of the characters in the film the street's not like the ER. There's no walls, no controls. To make up for that, they try to teach me how to act without thinking. Like a soldier who can take apart and reassemble a gun blindfolded. Keep him up! Fuck him up! Kick his ass! Keep the shit out of him! 
realized that my training was useful in less than 10% of the calls, and saving someone's life was rarer than that. After a while, I grew to understand that my role was less about saving lives than about bearing witness. I was a grief mob. It was enough that I simply showed up. Except with Rose. Oh, we haven't even talked about the dispatch calls yet. Oh my god. With fucking Queen Latifah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The dispatch. And, and Marty. And Marty. And Marty. And Marty, yes. Marty again also one of his really stellar self-insert roles. Yes. <laughs> like, Perfect. But in both cases, both of them just negging the shit out of out of all the drivers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Pick up the receiver, push the button on the side. And say you copy. Like at the very end too, when you know, we've had we've had our experience with Mr. O and we know the backstory. We know that they how often they they go to calls for him and and Marty has that line as the dispatcher where it's like he doesn't even say anything yet. He just says, I'm really sorry about what I'm about to say. Or so, he just has a lead yeah. up and you know exactly where he's going. He's like, I'm going to preface this by saying that I that I love you both very much. <laughs> I'm big fans of you. I think you're the best. Here's what I got. Uh, yeah, he, he does a really stellar job. His his voice performance in the movie is... Oh, yeah. is one of a kind. I was I was remarking second only to Shark Tale. It's it's. it's I was gonna say Shark Tale's <laughs> the other one, <laughs> but you forget that Marty's like he's a pretty stellar actor. Like his no, scene in Taxi Driver yeah. is like really good, and it, uh, yeah, he, his his bits and curb are really good. It's yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I yeah love what you're saying about the um the perspective of particularly of how we see the city sort of being. Uh, mapped to the partners that Frank yeah. is with. And and I think, you know, speaking to that is uh, also that the first time we see sort of like an overhead shot that feels, um, that feels less like it's uh, a perspective shot of the city and more sort of like, um, what's the word? Beatif- beatifying is that a word Be- beatifying yeah, <laughs> yeah beatification a- and more beatifying is is when ving rames is delivering his sermon and and uh they're shooting the the od with narcan like we pull back and we see him you know hands up face to the sky delivering uh delivering what do you call that? I, this is te- very raw territory for the, me because yeah. I am not a religious person I, at all. You, you wouldn't call it. <laughs> he's delivering as, a sermon. He's giving a prayer. He's doing some sort of thing. Something. So. As, as as a lapsed Catholic, I I, I I I share a kinship with both with both Schrader and, and, and <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, actually, 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 I think Schrader actually might be Protestant by 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 upbringing. I think actually, but Scorsese, of course, you know the the ultimate lapsed Catholic, maybe. Yeah. But but like you know. I, I think it's interesting too. Like, it's it, it's a good segue to like again one of the really big underpinning th- themes of the movie, where like and and even Joe Connolly I think you know talks about it a bit in interviews mm-hmm. like about how like you know the the feeling where when you save someone's and and Frank says it very early on when you save someone's life you're walking you're, you're you feel like you're walking on air it's the greatest drug in the world you feel like God you know for and mm-hmm. and for that moment who's to say you aren't. And it's it's fascinating, especially in the in the Ving Rhames segment, you know how literally this play because we get to see 
the moment where he comes closest to saving somebody, technically, in the uh, the really maybe maybe the most brutal scene in the movie. I think the the mm. childbirth scene on the stairs. Yeah, in the in the really dilapidated apartment with the two um, two. I I don't know if 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 they're more immigrants or refugees. Um, but uh, you know, two two teenagers who claim to be having a virgin birth. Right. Uh, right. One of them named Mary. Again, mm-hmm. Paul Schrader, everybody. But it's it's it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's but it's it's uh, it's uh, it, you know, and uh, they're on this. They're on you know. They're on the stairs. And and you know it's it's twins, and Ving Rhames' character delivers a perfectly healthy child, and Nick Cage gets a stillborn. Yep. Uh, and it's like it, he seems he seems cursed. Uh, but like the, the, coming out of that, that's that's when they end up flipping the car because you know Ving Rhames is riding this high of you know I just saved a life, and he's like trying to reinforce. You, know, you did too. You delivered a baby, and it's like no, no, he he doesn't feel that way. Yeah. And it's like interesting, like you know. The way it, the next thing we see after he walks out from an ambulance and goes home saying, I quit, is Nick Cage waking up. I hope I'm not mixing this up with earlier in the movie, but I think this is when Nick Cage wakes up in his apartment cut with the windows covered in tinfoil. Mm-hmm. Mm, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, you know, literally blocking the light out of life, you know, in his apart, in his weirdly nice apartment. <laughs> overlooking, in, <laughs> over, like, I'm, I, I, I I don't, 1999 was different. I, I I can't speak to it. I was like you know I was like eight and not living here yet. But you know it's 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 wasn't that. I still feel like Midtown would have been hard to have a apartment with that kind of view. And on, probably on the yeah. <laughs> Either way, I digress. Uh, it's it's it's. Or I guess 1990. Okay, maybe 1990. Maybe <laughs> right. Yeah, you could do it. It is early. That's yeah. true. Right, but. Yeah. The way that that scene is handled, I mean, all of it, the devastation of there's something so uncanny about seeing uh, Nick Cage holding this stillborn fetus wrapped in like a blanket and like delivering it tiny little CPR and bringing it into the hospital. Oh there's God. something so brutal about it. I mean, obviously, we know why. Like, it's it's a, yeah. it's a child, you know, it's a, it's a little thing. Uh, but the the images there are just striking and and then for it to be followed by one of the most kind of maybe bombastic moments in the movie with this this ambulance crash it's done so matter of factly afterward they they walk out nick is laughing ving is sort of like calling after him it fades to black and we never really talk about it again save for like the the boss <laughs> saying like oh I, I need you to fill some paperwork out uh, about about the the accident and you know like he has a couple like you know cuts and bruises on him and stuff throughout the yeah. rest of the movie but nothing is made of the fact that they like flipped a fucking ambulance that like they both could have died like on the street yeah. it's but it's well, just another night for them right, right? Yeah. it, it like, is that's, yeah that's the least violent thing to happen that night yeah. exactly and that's, and that's the thing with this movie this movie has a very specific relationship with violence. Yes. Uh, of two kinds. Obviously, there's like the actual like, one of the big, again, big undercurrent of this film and the climactic undercurrent of this film eventually for whatever there is resembling a climax really is, you know, there's a drug called Red, red Death, which is like some spin on heroin that's, mm-hmm. you know, requires 10 times the amount of Narcan. Sounds a little uncomfortably familiar. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know, sweeping the streets up and like being pushed by kids who are just trying to make a quick buck, you know. 
but like, and so you have the actual, you know, the actual shootings with the Michael K. Williams scene, and like, you know, the backstory to Noel. There's nothing more violent in this movie than the attempts at resuscitation and, mm-hmm. and first aid in it. Like, it, it, you know, it, it, it's 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 horrific. The when watching watching Burke, that first patient, over the course of the movie, repeatedly get shocked. I think the count in the movie is he codes, you know, he flatlines seventeen times 17 and is shocked out of it. Every single time you watch his body jerk, it's it's this, it's this like horrific scene each time, and I, I mean, and that's something this movie really gets in a way. I think no other film that's tried to tackle the subject matter has. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's gruesome. It's mm-hmm. yes. the only thing I can think of that comes close is um the show The Nick, which mm. I think which is really stellar mm. and also has a very different relationship. It's much more like the, the surgical and procedural side, but like similarly. Seems to grasp this kind of, you know, nightmarish relationship. This weird thin line between care and violence. You yes, know? it's yeah. yes. The stuff um, with Burke is really important um, yeah. because it runs throughout the entire film, mm-hmm. um, and because he's he's the first patient that we see Frank Pierce attend to, um, and the conversation around his life I think is not just um, doesn't just illuminate the violence that we're talking about, but also the sort of violence inherent in the calculus that these people have to make of like, Mm -hmm. okay, well the mom believes in fucking resurrecting the dead and you know, they don't, they want him uh, on life support. So we gotta, we gotta get to it. We gotta shock him again. Like, these conversations about like why they're doing what they're doing and it it boils over towards the end of the film when or i should say maybe the sort of two-thirds in because the end is when we have that beautiful scene when nick cage puts the heart monitors on him Mm -hmm. and yeah uh we'll talk about that but um burke is flatlining and and nick uh, Nick Cage's character has been, you know, sort of standing over him and hearing him, hearing Burke say to him, like, man, you gotta, you gotta put me out of my misery in so many words. Um, yeah. And he flatlines and the nurse comes rushing in and says, you gotta, you gotta shock him. You're, you're taller than I am. You can get over him. Like you're right here. Do it. And he hesitates and it cuts back and forth between Frank and Burke and Burke is literally begging him not to. And he's like, what are you doing? Stop, stop what you're doing. Stop. And he shocks him. And then by the third time he can't, and he's arguing with the nurse Frank is, and it's this really brutal line where he says like, why, like, why are we doing this or something like that? And she says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't Doesn't matter. matter. Like we, this is, this is what we have to do. We have to, we have to, shock him and like that is also incredibly violent that Mm -hmm. like the the math that we have to do you know it's the same math that's done like when when they first bring uh him into the hospital and they're like sorry man like we have nowhere to put him he's basically dead he's got to go that type of calculus is done throughout the entire film there's even a line um, when they're talking about Noel, and I think it's Frank um, 
who says it. Maybe it's not because I think Frank is is more sympathetic towards him. But one of one of the ambulance attendees says, look, someone's going to die of a cardiac arrest because we're going to be attending to this guy mm-hmm. and and he doesn't deserve it. But that of it's it, it's it's this really, you know, it's how do you process these going through this kind of thing? And it, it's a good segue for, I think, the elephant in the room here, which is I hadn't watched this movie since COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd seen it many times. This is my first watch in a few years. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it puts it in a very I don't want to project too much onto it. And I also think there's it's also it's not new territory. There's, there's been some good writing on it. I, I really especially recommend there's a really good piece on Ebert's on the, you know, Ebert.com. Yeah, uh, by by the really terrific critics Willem McClay and Scott Tafoya, yes, uh, which which is inc- an incredible like look at this movie in the context of the pandemic. I can't recommend it highly enough. Mm. Um, but it, it it I I think it, what sticks with me watching it more is like just imagining that kind of completely hollowed out, overwhelmed feeling just en masse. like this like you know this tenfold across the country for two straight years <laughs> just uh, in it's it, it, it doesn't you know it, it, the brain kind of breaks down a little bit trying to think about processing that and and it, it's interesting and you think about the spectrum of people you know because like like any field healthcare is all the whole spectrum of, of types of people there are people who really are like steadfast bastions of heroism who like maintain their composure through all these inhumane conditions. And there are people who are like nurse tyrants who like, you know, just again, see it as a, as a weird opportunity to flex power and like, you know, love their, their, you know, come and take it memes and like, won't wear a mask at their workplace. You know, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's, 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 uh, and it's interesting seeing that dynamic in a much smaller frame here in a way where it almost feels escapist by comparison <laughs> like you know mm, yes mm-hmm. to see it to see it play out here versus like watching it at, you know, on such a global scale for the past couple of years i don't want to fix it on that too much because i think it's like i think we're all sick of thinking about that as much as it's not over you know it, it, it's like you know because we're also all frank pierce right now we're all we're all a little dead inside we've all mm-hmm. just seen this happen over and over again we're kind of numb to it it's it's yes it's, yeah that's that's what I was going to say about that, Donald. Is you know, it's it's sort of deputized us all into this role of having to be the characters who do that brutal calculus, who do that kind of triaging. You know, there families who have had to do that with loved ones. You know, who have been on life support and intubated, and and making these very conscious decisions about, you know, what what what's the best course of action for somebody in this situation. You know, and all, all these things that like medical professionals struggle with as we see in this movie um there's a there's a really poignant line and i think donald you know you and i both watched the same the same video it's it's just kind of like a a junket like compilation of of interviews and joe Connolly speaks in it about uh writing the book and mentions you know says you know he he went to ems training for like five weeks he got thrown into an ambulance and all of a sudden he was uh deciding you know like and and responsible for who lives and dies and one of the things that he says that i think is so poignant and maybe a good way to kind of transition into talking about that final moment with uh burke when when cage finally like lets him die is you know Connolly says you had to change your perception of what it meant to save somebody constantly that it was like a moving target 
uh, that otherwise you would just kind of lose yourself to it, that it would just sort of become this thing where you would become like Frank, you know, you've, you've not been able to save anybody for six months and you lose your mind and you begin to feel this, this overwhelming weight of guilt. Uh, and I, and I think that statement kind of informs a lot of the decision-making on Frank's part at the end here, when he finally lets Burke die, you know, he's been hearing his voice. He's been hearing him say this entire time, like, let me, let me go, uh, you know, despite the family's wishes. And I think for, for Frank in the movie, that moment when he finally like inserts the breathing apparatus into his own mouth and puts the heart monitor on himself and lets him pass is definitionally by whatever, you know, kind of conceit he has about it. That is finally him saving another soul. You know, that is, that is him kind of breaking the streak. He's, he's doing the will of somebody who, who is ready to transition to the other side. It's fascinating how seamlessly the film sells that Cage is able to, you know, it obviously a little suspension of disbelief here, but like Cage is able to pop it back on him and like yeah. be in the middle of CPR. But it is like it, you can clearly see the energy isn't there even even there when he's trying to sell it. Like you know, he's like he doesn't want to risk accidentally reviving him. <laughs> like you know, yes, it's, like <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's but like um, yeah, I I think it's interesting the way you know this film. It's like the projection here. Like, I mean, I think a crucial thing, Carly, you pointed out when talking about this, like, it's not ever established that it's anything but Cage hearing his own voices, basically. Like, mm-hmm. this is Cage's projection of himself onto Burke to some degree. Burke is a vegetable, basically, with some yeah. brain activity. And what Cage is hearing is not, yeah, you know, it, it's not, it's not actually hearing Burke. This is his own desire for release mm-hmm. that he's projecting. You know, it's, 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 it, 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 to some degree, I mean, there is mercy to it too, for sure. Of course, like, you know, but the reason why he does it is because he wants to die. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. The other scene that I think we have to talk about, uh, you know, as we, as we start to wrap up is, um, I think another portion of the movie that feels like it blends this sort of fantastical with the real and and can conflates the two in such a way that you don't really care what is real and what isn't anymore and that's the scene when cliff curtis's character Sai is impaled on an iron fence on a balcony some 50 stories up uh in new york imagine dying to red red wine right it's like it's It's such a it's such a wild like needle drop in that but oh my god i fucking loved when i was like this is so sick and like twisted and and perfect it's such a the the needle drops in this film are oh yeah it's it's like very much like stuff in marty's wheelhouse of of artists but like in unexpected ways the 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 I, I not not to digress much you know the, I, the I'm so bored in the USA needle drop is such a good one is one of the best like yes. scenes of yeah. in the ambulance you know it, it, everything every oh god it's that could be a whole uh that could be a whole a uh, uh, different episode of, of of a different podcast you know it's like it's like yes, it could say. <laughs> like a you know, soundtrack it, podcast yeah. perhaps uh, uh, Donald uh, yeah for, perhaps. No, but uh, yeah, er, 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 Eric, have me back. It's, 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 no, but it's it's uh, what's it called? No, it's it's um, the the surrealness of like that pan over the railing and yes. just 
it, I, the, the most insane thing is that that is based on a real life injury in their observations before. Oh in God. yeah, no, I gotta find it. In the, is in it this, really? I gotta find it in the Marty in the Marty interview. Um, yeah, right after he finished shooting, another guy fell on a fence in New York. This happens all the time. Every few months, there's an impaling like that. We shot in the emergency room on Bellevue on the ground floor. We built the set down there. A few stories above, one of the doctors had a section of the fence they took out of the man as a showpiece in his office and then inspired the scene. Oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. just like a thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, that scene you know. is brutal. Uh, <laughs> you have to imagine that, yeah, that kind of thing probably does happen. At some, I mean, you know, even someone just trying to like hop an iron fence or something and has a or foot Or just like, slip, leaning, like leaning over, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, having le- le- leverage wrong there, and it's interesting because that scene is prefaced by the other one of the other really violent moments of the movie, where uh, where Tom Sizemore just hunts down and beats the shit out of Noel before yes. mm-hmm. Nick Cage finally snaps and 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 stops him. Basically, yep. you know the the s- scene with Cliff Curtis's character when they're you know, sawing this metal fence off so that they can cart him to the hospital, you know, pull still up his ass, as he says later, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's through his torso, but, um, and these sparks are flying and he's hanging over, oh you know, God. he's 50 stories up and Nick Cage, another like incredible act of compassion is holding his head because mm-hmm. Sai has said to him, I can't hold my head up anymore, man. And so Nick Cage is, is literally cradling this man and sparks are flying and he's staring at him, you know, like a baby. Like it, it's just, it's such a beautiful scene and it's so like nuts to look at too. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's I think it's one of my my most favorite things I've ever seen in a movie. As yeah. the sparks are flying, he's also like hallucinating like a fireworks show happening in front yes. of him, right? Like this like beautiful kind of like red, white, and blue like light shining on the on the skyscrapers and you see these these red and blue kind of like flames and, and sparks flying everywhere. It's it's just another one of those moments that like you're like this is something else that we're watching here. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not lost on me with the the scenes with Noel at the end with Tom Sizemore and Nick Cage that you know uh, Sizemore's character who I, I think is uh, named Tom in this right Major Tom yeah uh, has this idea to like sneak up behind Noel and have Nick Cage push him in one of those classic like bully fashions yeah. so that they can like knock him off his feet and and take him in. Just such a, a a familiar and all too unfortunately familiar sort of sympathy that in the relationship between like a human being who is destitute and property, Tom Sizemore's character cares more about the damage done to the vehicle than he does to the human being. Uh, it's the thing is, it's, I mean, it couldn't get more literal. It's broken windows. It's literally it's, broken windows. He flips yep. out of a broken windows. Like, you know, it, yeah. it, and it erupts in this violence against this, you know, person. Like, and that and that's his concern too. Like, he's, you know, Sizemore for all his freak outs, every other person he treats, weirdly, he has like he dials it back and like is able to turn on this fake care. He wears yes. the gloves. He like actually is like he, again, he, he's addressing people. It's when he sees this like disruptance to the sense of order that he flips out. 
you know, it's, it, yes. it, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's this weird, like, you know, like just like, you know, white, this like white fleet kind of like white power kind of fear. Like, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not articulating this well, but, um, you know, it, it, he, it's, it's, it's an embodiment of, of, of what was to come in this, in the nineties for New York, like this, this, you know, violent, surge back against the marginalized that are already that were already being terrorized by you know by like you know inequality and poverty and drugs and, and aids which I, that's that's the thing like how nonchalantly aids yes. is treated like not in a dismissive way but like you know one of the first things you hear is about like you know you know you have i have two aids patients you know one is a 12 year old filling up with fluid whose mom won't sign the dnr you know it's yes. like mm-hmm. it's, it's and it's horrific it's, it's just oh my god I think that's another reason it's important this takes place in the early 90s, right? Like, yeah. it's it's definitely uh, situating us in, in a time that was still dealing with the wake of a lot of death and, uh, and drug use and, like, the, the aftermath of, of the AIDS epidemic. Um, and that, like, the city is still reeling from you know mass death the the middle of it really honestly it's yeah yeah Mm -hmm. for sure you know we've already talked a lot about the kind of like parallels uh between the film's text and sort of marty's fascination with and preoccupations with this idea of kind of like sainthood and and godhood and and the way that these characters sort of act as like vessels for God. You know, one of the other connections that I made very obviously here, but that I didn't see remarked upon too much in, in many of the criticisms are from Marty is sort of like this, this Stygian quality to all of it as well. You know, like this kind of like idea of these characters as like, uh, what, what's the ferryman's name that takes people across the river sticks in the Oh, uh, is it Sharon Char- or something? Like that? Yeah, Char- Char- yeah. Charon or Charon, Charon or whatever. Yeah, yeah Charon. Yeah. Uh, but but you know the the idea of these characters being sort of these like ferrymen of the dead, this idea of of New York l- literally being this this kind of river sticks sort of idea yeah. that you know the, the the bodies flowing within it and and this these people uh, giving these souls safe passage. Um, I don't have much beyond that. I, it's kind of like a half cooked idea, but I was thinking about it as as I was watching this for sure. That is like a thing with like Schrader characters too, like Schrader practice are, are often like these like you know tortured souls bearing witness to, to like yeah, as 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 you said Carly the you know the living dead in, in in these worlds like you know either they're they're all on this kind of like journey through the underworld of sorts of of just floating by or or, or vessel in this case you know literally vesseling them it it, it it's mm-hmm. you're you're on the money there it's it's, it's just yeah. The last thing I want to close with um is the line that comes up it's a refrain that comes uh throughout the whole course of the movie and it's one that we first hear from when frank delivers it to uh mary patricia arquette's character and he says to her you have to keep the body going so that the brain and the heart can recover Mm. enough to go on their own and this line comes back again and again and again in the movie. And what I was left with the last time I heard it in the film is I'm going to say this as, as crudely as I can, because I think it is a, a crude uh, argument that I'm making here, 
but I don't know another way to put it is I think that's an allegory for capitalism. Like, I think that this idea of just like the churn of a system that just keeps people grinding, uh, you know, so that they are ostensibly walking dead. Like, and Frank is just looking for those two days, that week, that vacation, that sick time, whatever it is, him getting fired from his job so that his brain and his heart can recover. Like, I don't think that, you know, Marty or Schrader are are making a an inherently political statement, but we have acknowledged that there is, you know, a definite implication of systems um, in this story. And that line just really struck me. It struck me as one that um, can be applied to all of the characters we meet in this film in some form or another. I'll, I'll bring it back to a thing that we talk about on this, this show a lot, which is, you know, the, the films of 1999 specifically, which we've been hanging out with a lot lately on the show for yeah. whatever reason, it, through, you know, guest picks, our own picks, what have you. But it uh, almost seems like we also feel like we're at the edge of the end of the world right now. <laughs> right. Totally. And, it does, doesn't it? And and it's it's a very familiar feeling. And I think that's why the films of 1999 are resonating right now and, and why they resonated at the time, you know, at the at the sort of like end uh, of the end of history. They didn't know that at the time. I don't think, you know, we had no idea of like that. But but the approaching millennium too. you know, changing the currents and, and people's perspectives and I think that this movie, though doing things that are uh, vastly different than any of the movies we talked about before that are kind of reckoning with this this sort of impending sense of change that could also feel something like doom, this movie like fits kind of perfectly into that kind of puzzle and into that grand tapestry of movies of that era and just sort of the anxieties they were feeling about what it meant to live at that time, what it meant to be a part of that era, that there was sort of this, this futurelessness, despite the like constant churn and like, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, just unending sort of trudge forward of of time. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really all I've got to say about that. I think with that, you know, we've, we've gone a little long. We've talked a lot about this film. Um, I think we've, I think we've, hit pretty much all of it um yeah, yeah. well done everybody yeah <laughs> bringing out the dead a delightful romp for the whole family that's correct <laughs> yes 100 percent. bring your take, kids yeah, yeah. Bring, bring your, your kids, kids bring the whole family they'll love it no really put it on it's, at uh yeah. the next family gathering that you all have no, in all sincerity it is on hbo now uh or hbo sorry hbo max uh i i my Br- sorry brand overlords um, you, you you mean but, sorry you mean HBO Max soon to be HBO Discovery. All yes. right, let's yeah. not. But anyways, <laughs> it is it's it's not necessarily an easy watch, but it, it, I I mean I do I do resolutely believe it's 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 uh it's 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 Scorsese's best. It's it's you know, it's my favorite of his. It's, it's also it's it, you know, it's understandable to be sick of seeing movies about New York, but I think it's one of the very best in that category, I would say. Yes. Wholeheartedly yeah. agree with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say yeah, it is on HBO Max right now. It was kind of hard to to find up until very recently. Yeah. Still doesn't have like a, had, a, a good Blu-ray edition or anything No, like I had that. to rely on my very legally obtained copy before I found out it was an HBO. Incredibly it's, legal. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. And just a couple months ago when I watched this for the first time, you know, it, it was not available on HBO Max yet. Yeah. Um, but now that it is there, we know that this movie is uh, male oriented. Uh, it's a it's a lean in kind of movie rather than a lean back sort of one, you know, like the Discovery shows are. Uh, just you know, it's it's good dude cinema, right? Yeah. Nothing. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just no. like that whole fucking thing is just nothing. Nothing says dudes rock like giving yourself an IV and crashing an ambulance. <laughs> yes. That's right. Just huffing oxygen. Right. Yeah. Just making yourself on a B12. On a joyride. Making yourself a B12. With your uh, murderous cocktail. <laughs> co-worker. God. Look, pe- pe- people would pay like a thousand bucks for that now. So it's... Yes! It's, 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 they do, it actually. the curve. There's, there's a, a little shop in Bushwick that sells that for like $25 a job. We have them here in San and Francisco. And, 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 and it's, it's run by, uh, by um, Kamala Harris's step. Step kid. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> That's right. It is right, yeah. right next to her boutique oh uh, clothing God. store that has a I, I, DJ I in think, it. Yeah, the guy. It, it's uh, yeah. See, we've, we've, we've balanced it out. After saying nice things about New York, we can go back to shitting on it. It's, yeah, it's, we can <laughs> we can shit on New York now after saying good things. But but go go and watch this movie. Yeah. Uh, in haste, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. it is. Truly, uh, one of one of my favorite movies we've done for the show. One of the best of of its year and its decade, and and from a creator who uh, just constantly reinvents himself. It is it is one of the the most exciting and exhilarating things I've seen from the master Scorsese himself. So go check it out. Um, and with that, I will I will wrap us up and say thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our fantastic guest Donald Borenstein today. Uh, you've been an absolute pleasure, Donald. Uh, the, the pleasure's been all mine. Thank you both for having me. This has been a blast. Please come back uh, anytime. Anytime. I- I'll just show up at your door. It's. <laughs> we will welcome you with open arms, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll have the coffee on already, too. Yeah. <laughs> B12 coffee, vodka, uh, B- whatever B- you need. B- Beeflo Main. Beefalo yes. man. There you go. Yeah, uh, I'm so hungry right now. Actually, I really yeah. want Chinese food. We're gonna. Get, I, I we're actually, gonna I actually food. did have. I did have Chinese food right before this is getting new. Yes. I didn't have, rock and roll. I, I had. I had. I had General Cho's tofu though. I didn't have. Hey, food. I'm into it. I know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not as committed as Cage was to the rules. You're, get, you're getting into the mindset, yeah. uh, Donald. Where can people find you out in the world? Uh, I, I would just like start walking around yelling, "Hey, asshole!" and and I'll probably show up. Or that, or you can find me on Twitter.com, baby, where I, you know, am trapped like the rest of you at Boringstein. Uh, I ha- I used to have a website, uh, then it, I forgot to renew it, and I lost it. And I, oh, I got no. it back now, but it's, it's empty, so I'm working on that. So twi- twi- Twitter and Instagram at Boringstein for now, and nothing to plug. I don't do anything. It's it's it's, 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 it's yeah. Follow this man. He's very intelligent. He has a lot of fun takes and things to engage with. Um, and our, our end of things, you can uh, follow along with us at Hit Factory Pod. You can also subscribe to the show at patreon.com slash hitfactorypod for bi-weekly bonus episodes. Tell your friends. We could use more of you. Uh, shout out to our overlords. Their names are Linda and Jesse Kay. And we will see you all, hear you all, catch you all the next time. See ya.
And here we are once again at the back part of the show. Thank you so much to our guest, Donald Bornstein, for being here to talk about bringing out the dead. Uh, But as we mentioned earlier, it is our 100th episode of Hit Factory. So Carly and I are taking a moment to just uh, celebrate, clink our glasses. That sounds silly, but we're sipping on things. I've got my drink of choice in hand. Carly's got hers in hand right now. Carly, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some Cokie Americano on ice with some orange rind. A delicious uh, aperitif. (laughs) It's very good. Preparing for the dinner that we will probably be having after after we do this. Mm-hmm. At uh, midnight. Exactly. Yes. That's the, the life of uh, a podcaster. <laughs> uh, so for our celebration of our 100th episode, I commissioned some of uh, the podcast's best friends, people that uh, longtime listeners will know and love, uh, to send us some messages of congratulations and well wishes for the milestone. Carly had no idea until I told her about two hours ago that this had all happened. Uh, I have heard all of these as the producer uh, with full uh, caveats and apologies to all of our our, uh, friends who contributed. I have edited some of them down for time just so that this doesn't run for an hour. but Carly has not heard any of these yet. So you're going to get the raw, uncut, uh, completely uh, real-time reactions of Carly. I'm already crying. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and, and here's the other thing about it, too, is I actually don't really remember what order I put these in. So it's going to be as much a surprise to me as it will be to you uh, who shows up and in which order. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Carly's already crying. Uh, You're going to laugh a lot, too, I promise. We got some really good ones this time, Uh, this time, as if there's ever been another time. Anyway, uh, thank you so much in advance to all of our friends who contributed and took the time to record something special for us. We're going to say thank you to each of you individually now as we play them, too. Uh, I do actually know who the very first one is, and you will know right away, too. (laughs) Uh, these are our good friends from uh the odd pod uh trevor drinkwater (laughs) and uh and sweet valerie Fay. my loves all right here we go we are gonna uh get right into it now hey aaron and carly guess guess who it is (laughs) it's trevor and valerie it's your good friends trevor and valerie uh uh wishing you a happy Congratulations, Congratulations on your 100th episode of the Hit Factory podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You passed the 90s, which is what your show's about. Now you're in the hundreds. She's right. That's true. Yep. Now you can do episodes about the 2000s. <laughs> no. Well, now they would be doing episodes about the 100s. Because they? they haven't done 2000 episodes. Let's not be hasty. Was this was this uh, kind of what you were looking for, Aaron? Are we like, uh... Classic Trevor Valley. Are we in the right ballpark here? How long is this supposed to be? Are we going too long? Good question. Well, uh, anyway, uh, this is this is uh, Trevor Trevor uh, Combo drink water. Uh, in case you you didn't know, um, and this is Valerie. Happy one hundredth episode. Happy hundred. Uh, happy. Happy hundreds. Yeah. Welcome to you're right in the hundreds with Abraham himself. <laughs> Congratulations. We love you. Yeah. And here's to a hundred so, more. Here's to a hundred more. It's been so fun. Keep slicing those lemons. Keep slicing <laughs> those lemons. 
Wait, no. What's what's one for Hit Factory? Valerie, on the spot right now. Do a Hit Factory slogan. You have uh, 10 seconds. Ten, keep, keep hitting nine. those factories. Beautiful. Keep hitting those factories. We love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> so much me too uh it hurts my heart it hurts my heart how much i love that classic classic trevor drink water and valerie Faye. they're so uh, good banter. at the banter trevor valerie you will have a wonderful podcast uh we have been a part of it several times now um and we just adore you we love you a lot and uh we will definitely be having you back on our show sometime soon you make me really happy both of you in your own special way and I love that the two of you always sound like a little bit mad at each other, um, but also like totally uh, full of love. It's it's very sweet. Uh, we love you both very much. And thank you so much for your well wishes. Uh, I'm not going to make it. You're going to make it. I'm not going to make all right. it. All right. Let's see who we have next uh, on the docket here. Congrats on your 100th episode. Yeah, congrats. 100 episodes. This is Pachino Hot. My girls. This is Jane. This is Callie. We love you. 100 is like more than 99 and like less than 101. And like that's insane that you guys have done that many episodes. Um, 100 is a uh, is a milestone. It's a it's a good uh, number. It's a good She's round right. one zero zero. She's number. very right. And that means that you've seen at least 100 movies. You've seen 100 movies. Oh That's more gosh. movies than some people have wow, seen. Wow, that's life. so true. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, but we love you guys, and we're really proud of you for, for crossing this milestone and for keeping the show going. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you guys should bask in this moment because you've put in a lot of work, and you've, it's really, really cool. Quality work, and more importantly, you've had us on, which is always the sign and mark of quality. <laughs> and we just want to say like carly is just like so pretty and like her hair like basically like the whole like song of solomon in the bible is like like about carly oh no i couldn't agree more it's like you know i just tears. see her face and it's just like this radiant glow of beauty just you know it hits you and you just bask it in Oh I like God. honestly like couldn't like make eye contact with her because I I think like it would just like <laughs> like freeze me you know because she's so gorgeous like that it was that. like I wouldn't know what to say I wouldn't know what to do and I would uh, have to be like loaded onto like a trolley cart and like pushed away <laughs> like Jane would have to come get me and then like load me up and then like be like sorry about that and and push me yeah, away yeah but then I'd freeze up too and oh and then just... someone would have to come get yeah. you and then it would like turn into kind of like like a fire escape issue like there would be too many people like frozen around carly so that's why we haven't met her yet in person but you know you're just hoping someday we will get to we will that whole ordeal it'll be worth it it'll happen i don't meet them i'll die um keep doing what you're doing and oh aaron's cool too he's okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean i love those two more than my heart can handle so i don't even really know what to say because like that's that's what we say to both you of both. them are just jane and kelly i love you both you know how i feel about you i tell you all the time how much i love you you're probably sick of hearing it but i'll never stop telling you because i think you're amazing and i'm really glad that you're in my life and i'm also really lucky that you think i'm pretty because i think both <laughs> of you are gorgeous the lovely the beautiful ladies of, of pacino pod uh listen to the show thank you both we love you so thankful that you are our friends 
fuck, I can't do this. We've only got a couple more. <laughs> and by that, I mean like we've got like five or six more. So okay. <laughs> this is like, like the, the happiest I've been in a really long time. And also like, I'm so upset. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's par for the course with that's you. That's me actually. Yeah. Like yeah, really, really <laughs> upset about, you know, the, just the overwhelming emotion that you're feeling about oh, it. Oh my God. All right. Let's listen to the next one here and see uh, who we got. Hey, Aaron and Carly, it's Jesse from Junk Filter. I just wanted to say congratulations. You've done it. You've made 100 episodes of Hit Factory. Are you going to go for another 100? If so, please invite me back on your show. Uh, I think we became instant friends when I came on to be your guest for a show on LA Confidential. And uh, I would certainly love to come back, and I would love to have you guys back. And until then, I will see you in the DMs. Congratulations once again. Ciao. Oh, just a class act. The best. That Jesse Hawkins. Jesse Hawkins, wonderful podcaster. Go listen to Junk Filter. Subscribe. He does a phenomenal show. One of one of the best movie shows. I just need to say, I've said this on Twitter many times, uh, and I've said it to Jesse several times, and I'm going to say it again. Jesse makes me smarter and cooler whenever <laughs> I talk to him, or like whenever we're just like talking about anything, a movie in particular. Like he just gets my synapses firing and um and he just he he's rad and yeah i love you jesse yeah i think you're real fucking cool one of uh one of my favorite uh early guests that we had on the show it was a relationship that i was so thankful to begin thank you so much for being willing to uh come on our show and take a gamble on us Thanks for having us on your show multiple times. Uh, we just adore you and we we love your show and we will indeed uh, see you in the DMs. I love you, Jesse. Hello, Aaron and Carly of the Hit Factory podcast. This is Caroline Thompson over from How Have You Not Seen? And thank you for having me on the show again, even for just a minute to say congratulations on 100 episodes. Um <laughs> 100 episodes period is no small feat um and let alone a 100 episodes of the quality that you guys do um it is so so insanely nice to just hear to smart intelligent people talk about some of our problematic faves from the 90s through a lens that is uh clever and nuanced and just overall intelligent and with a really 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 smart left-wing bent to it um listening to your guys show being on your show um is such a treat and um carly keep being the baddest bitch on my instagram feed and aaron keep being one of the coolest people on my twitter feed maybe uh you two can pop up on the other social media platforms another time but um again guys congratulations um congratulations on 100 episodes and thank you for putting me on um love you both and talk to you soon caroline caroline thompson everybody caroline always just meets me exactly where i am in terms of like my enthusiasm in the dms like I can send her 8,000 exclamation points about like whatever the hell. And she's always right there with me. Um, And Caroline's also like a fucking badass bitch. And she climbs rocks and like plays the guitar. And like, 
her partner like does tattoos like she's just very cool caroline's definitely one of like the cooler people that we know she's like too cool for me she's she's too cool for us but she has come on the show before and been generous with her time yes uh we uh, love her for it uh thank you for coming on the show we look forward to making a visit to uh how have you not seen i can't wait it's going to be a great time and we will uh 100 be having you back on sometime soon caroline i love you caroline love you caroline Hi, Carly and Erin. I love Hit Factory and genuinely both of you very much. Um, I was like so excited when you first DM'd me and asked me to come talk about Scream. And it means the world to me how like genuinely compassionate you both were with how nervous I was and how our conversation got into things that were like more serious and how like killed it intelligent and funny and kind both of you are and i am so glad to have met you and it is like one good thing about the internet um so congratulations on 100 episodes and i cannot wait for the next 100 episodes uh yeah so Lindsay is like not like she is an incredible fucking writer an incredible writer by the way as is uh very characteristic of her humility she did not say who she was Lindsay lee wallace who that was uh guest of the show now uh twice over so two percent of all of hit factory episodes belong to, to Lindsay lee wallace the thing about Lindsay is like it, she's not just a beautiful writer she also like manages to somehow make her writing i'm sorry for what i'm about to say but it's true praxis like every time she shows up on any of my feeds anywhere i'm just so thrilled so so thrilled Lindsay is also a person who will like meet me exactly where i am in the dms like without question without even flinching Lindsay lee wallace you already mentioned in your message to us that you were incredibly nervous to come on the show you may have even been the second time you came on when you just had to deal with me uh as as the the host it would make sense it would make sense. You are an intimidating person, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I no. don't know, but sure. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say this about Lindsay: one of the most eloquent guests we've ever had, and that's saying something. We've had a lot of very smart people. One of the funniest people who's ever come on our show, too. Lindsay is yes, uh, hilarious without meaning to be. She's a fucking riot all the time, <laughs> uh, and cracks me up. And just uh, yeah, is is just a, a wonderful presence and wonderful spirit, and we love you very much so so much hello my name is owen my name is Paige, oh. and we're super stoked on you guys reaching the 100 episode milestone for hit them. factory we're big fans of the pod but even bigger fans of the two of you They're so far away. we love talking shit in the dms and playing music league together so here's to another 100 episodes cool <laughs> That's like the most Owen way to end that. He uh, told me to cut that out. I'm not going to. No, Sorry, I love um, it. It's, yeah, it's, it's so very, Owen. It's very Owen. Um, I miss them so much. Me too. Owen Morowitz <laughs> and his his lovely wife, Paige, uh, are... They're, they're so far away. Our friends from Down Under. Um, <laughs> Owen's been on the show now too, twice over, uh, and is also one of the smartest people we know i uh too smart yeah he comes with a lot of ideas to our program and he tells them to us and i'm not along as if i understand but i also know that they're like 
way way above my head and and way smarter than than anything I would ever conjure up. Um, and that's why we bring him on the show because, uh, you know, the cheerleader effect kind of thing. Where also would never have ever ever in my lifetime met them were it not for the internet for the and internet. the podcast. That's right. They are clean on the other side of the planet. It was fate. It was, it was. fated that we would meet. Uh, we adore you both so very much. Keep doing what you're doing, and we will talk to you very soon. Like tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Aaron and Carly. Uh, it's Kurt and Chris from Parents Just hey, Don't guys. Understand and Podside Picnic. Just uh, reaching out to wish you guys a happy 100th episode. Uh, you rock, and uh, it's been a pleasure recording with you and uh, your podcast kicks ass and it's always it's always great to hear it or to be on it or uh to just remember that it exists because like Mm. i said it kicks ass yeah i i've said this before on your podcast but i definitely feel like it's possibly the most intelligent uh podcast about film out there and you really i I know at least from my experience you you raise my intelligence level up to your up to your uh higher level while i'm on there so it's always so much fun to talk to you guys yeah sincerely yes sincerely you guys are super smart you do amazing film analysis um and it is seriously some of the best out there uh so again happy 100th episode and uh here's to 100 more from from chris and i I love my boys. They're wonderful. I love them so much. My favorite dads on the whole planet who aren't my dad. The best dads. Uh, <laughs> hosts of Parents Just Don't Understand, which Kurt uh, obviously does pod side right now as well. Uh, and runs fucking Blood Knife, which I is... I don't even uh, get how the two of them do anything. Like... They have jobs. They've they parent children, and they also wives and children and pets, and they like enrich their kids' lives with like activities and shit. Like and still come on our fucking show. Don't know how they do it. Kurt also runs a digital magazine, which is awesome and growing all the time. And the reason why we know probably like a quarter of the people we actually know for the yes, show. Yes, so, 100%. So if you're not already reading slash supporting Blood Knife, uh, you need to be. Every single person who we've uh, heard a message from is a creator of some kind and has something that you should be engaging with and we're going to be linking to all of it yes um, please 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 read the episode description check it all out it is well worth your time love you guys very much uh, talk to you soon my heart my heart hurts hello from Potside, Aaron <sighs> Carly Hit Factory this is Carlo I put I put these two together I'm just way. here to say a hundred episodes amazing keep going folks Keep going. May there be hundreds more, as many as you'd like. <laughs> we here at Podside are rooting for you. And uh, Carly, you know, we can always once again get together to talk about yet another of our man, Raul Julia's amazing yeah. movies. Every, any day, every day. The Raul Juliaverse. Keep it going. We got, we got another one to play. Hey, guys. It's uh, Pete, and I am recording on my phone because of a long string of events involving two dogs and a wrecked microphone. Of course. It's always, but, a, long, uh, it's always a long story. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was Carly's 100th birthday, and I'm very <laughs> pleased to say that is not the case. It, it is, in fact, your 100th episode. And I've got to tell you, um, your show is special. 
there's a lot of things, just just a lot of podcasts out there. Let's be real. I mean, I know it, you know it. And in the spaces you and I are in, uh, pop culture, basically, there's a metric ton of podcasts. It's important to do something worthy, to do something special. Well, fuck. And you guys really have. Um, it's generally speaking, a podcast will either be uh, deep analysis or enthusiasm. And you guys have threaded the needle. I mean, you have wild enthusiasm and knowledge about the topic, and it makes you a really fun listen. Um, the fact that you guys are my friends and I would, uh, you know, uh, hide a body for you <laughs> is just a nice bonus. Me too, you, Pete. Love you both, and congratulations on your 100th episode. I love them so fucking much I want to scream sometimes. <laughs> two, two of our earliest adopters, honestly, on this. We, we had Pete and Carlo on very early on for the show. They had us on their show, like, super early on. Okay, after we recorded that Spawn episode, do you remember that we, like, looked at each other and we were like, that was so fucking fun. It was a blast. Like, it I just always remember is. both it's of always us just being the most like, fun talking with them. oh, what the hell? That was, that ruled. And it was, like, early on in our, like, guesting situation. We, for the longest time, uh, didn't put guests on the show with us. And then once we finally did... Uh, I think always had a lot of anxiety and terror around it because we were hosting people and we weren't confident in our uh, in our skills to navigate and produce quality content. Uh, and we brought Carlo and Pete on, and I remember being nervous even then. Uh, and it was effortless. And we talked to them for like two hours straight. Totally effortless. Laughed yeah. the whole fucking time. Like, just... Yeah. Instant chemistry, I will say, between the four of us. Yeah. I can tell those guys literally anything. And we often do. I I, <laughs> I do tell Pete and Carlo everything. And they're, <laughs> they're always so, so generous about it. Generous and um, accepting and just two loving, wonderful, beautiful souls. Um, Carlo beautiful and souls. That's exactly yeah. what the two of them are. Thank you two uh, both so much for the well wishes. Pete, say hi to Leah and Chewy for us. I can't. Ugh, that one got me. We've only got one more. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a doozy, I promise. Uh! Wow. Wow. 100 episodes, huh? I guess that deserves a little song. Hey, Carly and Aaron, you're the hit factory. It's been a pleasure discussing films of the 90s with you. <laughs> And I hope that we'll do it again. Now, what rhymes with again? <laughs> I guess that funny feeling of phlegm. <clears throat> oh, shit. Movie fan. All right, guys. It's been a pleasure. Okay. I Gus, fucking Gus love Gus Lanzetta so goddamn much. I want to scream. <laughs> Passion's hostage. I... <laughs> <laughs> it's it. He's one of the funniest people we know. Gus Lanzetta. Um, just started a, a new show, new video podcast. That's right. He did. American Jank. Yes. Yeah. Which uh, I think we already have a uh, tentative uh, appointment on sometime in the future. Fantastic. So looking forward to uh, being a part of your new endeavor, Gus. Uh, we adore you. You crack us up every time you come on the show. We love talking with you and we will uh, have you back on sometime very soon. 
Gus is also one of the most fashionable people I know. Great and, fits. Excellent fits. Uh, and I can talk to him about all the things, shoes, shirts, whatever the fuck. He, he's just like there for it. And uh, yeah, I'm just really glad I know you, Gus. I think you're great. And uh, I think you're beautiful. <laughs> well, that uh, does it for all of our, our friends' well wishes. Uh, again, to our friends, thank you so very much for uh, putting in the time and, and the effort to send us your well wishes. Uh, the show would not be anything without uh, your presences within it, on top of it, around it. Uh, you keep us going. You inspire us to keep producing and making good stuff. I ha- There have been probably no less than 50 times in the 100 episodes that we've done now where I was convinced uh, we would never make it to 100 episodes uh, just because it's it's a hard thing to do. While I'm also, glad you never told me that. No, it's just it's a hard <laughs> thing to do while we're also managing lives, you know? And yeah. uh, it was very hard when we first started doing it because we'd never done a fucking podcast before. Yeah. Um, it's just me screaming into a mic. <laughs> it was both of us just screaming I into a microphone. I still kind of do that. Yeah, but now we do it with, I think, a little bit more grace and a plum than we once did. We've done it a hundred times now. We, we should be a little bit more seasoned at this yeah, point. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but really and truly, to our friends, to all the guests we've had on the show, even if uh, you know we haven't heard a recording from you, uh, to all of our listeners as well uh, who are growing... Uh, just thank you. It's It's been awesome so far. We look forward to continuing to do this. Uh, we love doing it. It's it's one of our favorite things. It's been a hard year for me for various reasons. And uh, literally the people that we have met through this podcast are some of the people that keep me going uh, in the DMs and just like also by making shit that's cool and that like inspires me and gets me to think about stuff other than like I don't know family members dying or whatever like it's the internet as Lindsay said uh you know is is a place and uh the the bright spots in it are definitely um all of you and like I also just feel like I learn a lot from our listeners, like uh, random bits and facts from people being like, oh, I listened to the show and it made me think about X, Y, and Z. And I'll be like, fuck, yeah, what? Okay, you're super smart. Thanks. Like we've, we've just, I'm, I'm proud of the thing that, that we make. Even, As am I. Even when it's hard and even when I'm sad about other things. Me too. Uh, very very proud to have gotten this far uh, we've got more hit factory coming your way uh, well this has gone on uh, already I think longer than either of us anticipated but uh, for good reason we love you all very much our friends uh, our listeners thank you so very much for supporting the show and uh, we will see you all the next time <laughs>